Who was Peter Dodds McCormick? And should we remember him? Hello and welcome to Urban Ambling. Makata here. Can I tell you at the outset that the, the answer to the second part of the question is yes. Uh, but the reason why that is so will emerge from the telling of the story that follows. A good spot to begin is at the northern end of Wynyard Park in Sydney, uh, at the corner of York and Margaret Streets. Now, Wynyard Park's a pleasant enough green space, quite good tree cover, but it is in a very busy part of the city, and that's because it's uh, a lot of buses arrive and depart uh, from around the perimeter of uh, the park, and also because it has a large access into the Sydney Underground Rail Network. Look, it's a, it's a pleasant enough green space, but it doesn't have any particular distinction. Uh, whilst not having that distinction, it does have an interesting history, which I'll just uh, touch on shortly. If you stand and look down York Street to the south, now that would mean you're facing in the same direction as the traffic is flowing. Uh, what you can do is cast your mind back over 200 years as to what it might have been like. Well, in fact, what you would be looking at if you stood there is a long two-storied series of buildings which were the military barracks of the time. The building, in fact, ran for 54 metres, and my mental image isn't too good, but that would certainly be a fair part of the present Windyard Park. Now, those barracks were built by Governor Macquarie, who you'll hear a lot about in any tales of, of Sydney in the past, in 1814. They, in fact, continued to be occupied by troops through until 1847. At that time, the uh, very large existing military barracks at Victoria Barracks uh, in Paddington had been built and the troops moved up there. The barracks were in fact built on a site that occupied about 12 acres. As you stand in the spot uh, you are in York Street, if you look down towards George Street, well, it was that whole block was the area of the barracks. And on the northern side, as you look on your left-hand side, there would have been some buildings down the left-hand side. And on the southern side or right-hand side from you, there were other buildings. And the whole barracks area was surrounded by a brick wall, which was about 10 foot high. So as you can appreciate, uh, standing where you are, it was a very significant piece of land. Uh, interestingly enough, in 1838, it was described as the biggest barracks in the British Empire, which was quite a feather in the cap of what was then a small and very remote colony. As a complete bit of trivia, which may prove useful to someone someday, can I say that the last regiments to occupy the barracks were on this site were the 58th Rutland Shears, and the 11th North Devons. And I must say, I always love the fabulous names that uh, these British uh, regiments had. In 1848, the barracks building itself was sold up and, the, of course, the barracks had moved on. But fortunately, uh, 
in the sail, there was the vision and foresight to reserve the back part of the large parade ground to become ultimately a public park. Initially, it was a private park, as was some fashion at that time, but uh, that is the land that became Wynyard Park, and it's what you're presently looking at. The park was named for Major General Edward Buckley Wynyard, who was the commander of British forces in Australia and New Zealand between 1848 and 1853. Now, if you just walk down York Street a bit, again to the south in the direction of the flow of the traffic, you'll come to an entrance, make a left-hand turn there, and then straight again, make another left-hand turn, and you'll notice in front of you, in the middle of the northern area of the park, a statue. It's certainly worth a look. It is a statue of Dr John Dunmore Lang, and you'll see that he was described as a patriot and a statesman. It was erected in about 1891, and to his great credit, the building of the statue was largely financed by public subscription. Now, John Dundamore Lang was a very significant person in the colony back in those times. Uh, he was uh, a Presbyterian clergyman, but uh, he was very active in civic affairs and he served uh, in the New South Wales Parliament on a number of occasions and was well known for getting himself into all sorts of scraps with people. Now, he's will doubtless be the subject of his own pod in due course. But his significance to us in this story is that uh, he was the first minister of the first Presbyterian church in Sydney. And if you just move to one side of the statue and look north, look back towards Margaret Street and look over that street, you will see quite an attractive building, which is called the Presbyterian Assembly Building. Uh, and it was on that site that the first church was erected. That church opened on the 16th of July 1926 and remained on that site until between Margaret, I should say, and Jamison, the one further to the north, and remained on that site till the late 1920s. And if you want to go for a wander, you can go up to the Jamison Street frontage of the assembly building, you'll see the old plaque is there for the uh, the original church. As said, it was demolished in the mid to late 1920s and the present assembly building was erected there in 1930-1931. And within that building uh, is the current uh, Scots Church of Sydney, which uh, means it's been, it itself, the New Church has been occupying the site uh, for some 90 years. Now, at this point, you're probably wondering, well, yes, that's all terribly interesting, but what's it got to do with uh, Peter Dodds McCormick? Well, it has this to do with it. Some good number of months back, I was walking down past the assembly building, down Margaret Street towards George, and I had a little bit of time up the sleeve and it occurred to me that I'd in fact never looked inside the building. So I went up the, went in, went up the stairs, had a look at the current Scots church, which is fairly austere, I suppose you'd say, but that is in some respects the Presbyterian way. 
And after having a look round, uh, I was walking back out across the vestibule to the stairs and my eye just caught a plaque which is on a pillar to the left at the top of the stairs and I thought, oh, well, I'll go and see what that's all about. And what it was all about is it was about the very Peter Dodds McCormick who'd been a parishioner of that church and it was in fact he who wrote Advance Australia Fair. Now, I remember standing there and thinking, well, isn't that astonishing? This chance thing that I saw that plaque and had the time to go over and have a look led me to finding out that fact. And I must say, in all honesty, uh, I don't think it would have ever occurred to me to find out uh, who wrote uh, Advance Australia Fair, when they did it or, or why they did it. Well, that, of course, led me to make some inquiries about the said P.D. McCormack. Sounds like a policeman. Uh, he was born in 1834 in the port of Glasgow in Scotland. He was the son of a seaman. Uh, as best we know, he, whilst he was still in Scotland, he completed his apprenticeship as a joiner. He migrated to Sydney and arrived on the 21st of February 1855, and as was so common in that day, he was still a very young man of only 25. It seems that his in initial time in Sydney he pursued his trade as a joiner, we'd call it probably a carpenter and joiner these days. But there's the interesting aside that it seems that he also had some skills as a stonemason because there is evidence and certainly belief that McCormack worked as a stonemason on the construction of St Stephen's Presbyterian Church in Macquarie Street. And can I just say as an aside, if you happen to be up in Macquarie Street and it's open, it's a wonderful church with a great musical tradition. And it's just opposite the State Parliament House. It seems, though, that he wanted to pursue other things and for a period he trained as a teacher and he did teach. But his first love was always music and he retired from teaching in about 1885, so that's about 30 years after he arrived. He would have been about 55. So he could concentrate on his music. Uh, he was a devout Presbyterian and was an elder of St Andrew's Presbyterian Church, which was then at Woolloomooloo, and later he was at the Graham Memorial Church in Waverley. Interestingly, he continued to give religious instruction in public schools until his death in 1916. He was described by a friend, a compatriot of the time, as being, quote, a white-haired man with a red face who remained imperturbable amid the tumult of the classroom. End quote. It's a wonderful phrase, isn't it? He was also said to be very Scottish, but was also ultra-patriotic to his adopted land. Uh, over the years, he was associated with various Presbyterian and Scottish societies, including the Highland Society of New South Wales, and the Burns Anniversary Club. As said, he had a great love and interest in music and clearly a great capacity in music. 
and with, was the presentor, P-R-E-C-E-N-T-O-R, of the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church of New South Wales. Now, probably like you, I had no idea what the presentor was, except it sounded terribly important. But it is apparently one who leads the singing of a congregation. When I made that uh, discovery, it was suggested that it came from a, the Latin word for song. But as I understand it, the Latin word for song is cantus, C-A-N-T-U-S. So I'm not sure whether uh, that is right, but I suppose it's sort of all round in the same area. He was apparently a very able conductor and could conduct large choirs for it is reported that he conducted a choir of no less than 15,000 school children at the laying of the foundation stone of Queen Victoria's statue, uh, which of course uh, still stands in Macquarie Street at Queen Square, which is just over the uh, road from the northern end of Hyde Park. In addition to all that, he also tried his hand at writing both patriotic and Scottish songs. Now, one of those he wrote was, in fact, what became Advance Australia Fair, but at the time it was written, it was called Awake, Awake Australia. Interestingly, he used the pseudonym of the Latin word amicus, A-M-I-C-U-S, in writing those songs. Now, it's believed that uh, Awake, Awake Australia was first sung by one Mr Andrew Fairfax at the St Andrew's Day Concert of the Highland Society held on the 30th of November 1878. And I should just add that the Fairfax family had quite a connection with the Presbyterian Church. The Sydney Morning Herald at the time described the music as bold and stirring and the words as being decidedly patriotic. McCormack later had the music and four verses published by the great then old Sydney publishing house of W.H. Paling and Sons, and it gradually became a very popular uh, song. Again, quite extraordinarily, at the inauguration of the Commonwealth of Australia on the 1st of January 1901, it was sung by a choir of 10,000 voices. I mean, it's difficult for us to comprehend choirs that big. Equally, when the celebrations took place for the founding of the federal capital in Canberra in the mid-1920s, the song was performed then by massed bands. Towards the end of his life, McCormack described how he came to write Awake, Awake Australia. He said that he'd been at a, attending a concert at which various national anthems had been sung and he left the concert feeling very disgruntled that there was not one anthem for Australia. On his way home in the bus, he concocted the first verse of the song in his head and when he got home, he wrote it down and set it to music. The next day, he reworked it further and played it. He thought it sounded correct. He was reported as saying that it seemed to be, quote, 
like an inspiration, and I wrote the words and music with the greatest of ease. End quote. He formally registered the copyright of his song, many years obviously after he wrote it and had been performed, on the 3rd of September 1915. McCormick died on the 30th of October 1916 and is buried at Rookwood, the Rookwood Cemetery in the middle part of Western Sydney. After his death, there were numerous attempts to have the song, ultimately called Advance Australia Fair, proclaimed as the national anthem. Over the next 55 or 60 years, there was a lot of seesawing, which came to a head in 1974, which, when the then Prime Minister Gough Whitlam announced that Advance Australia Fair, in his view, should be substituted for God Save the Queen. As those of you who are older will recall, Malcolm Fraser followed Gough Whitlam as Prime Minister. Now, uh, there was a public poll conducted in 1977, which chose Advance Australia Fair as the favoured song for the national anthem. Uh, Malcolm Fraser, however, um, showed uh, his true loyalty to the old country and insisted that God Save the Queen remain. Uh, happily, on the 19th of April 1984, the controversy was put to bed for all times and Advance Australia Fair was proclaimed our national anthem. So really, that short story just highlights the importance of happenstance in our life. If I hadn't gone into the church, more importantly, if I haven't noticed that plaque stuck away in a rather dark corner, then I'm sure I never would have found all this out, and that would have been to my loss. Well, that's it. Stay safe and well. Try and take a bit of time for ambling. And until next time, cheerio.